you've been looking for a podcast to help you transform your physical and mental one that'll shoot you straight between the eyes with truth and no bs helping you have the right mindset to accomplish things the iron will and fortitude to follow through with what you say you're going to do no excuses Mark owns martial arts schools, and after 30 years, he has some real insight for real talk, real life, real conversations, motivational, fitness, self-defense, weight loss, live from the Great 1-8. This is Real Talk with Mark Cox. There we go. Now we are live, I think, there. Sergio, you hear me okay? I hear you. All right. So we'll see. We got some people popping online already. We'll see who's, uh, uh, you know, we'll be able to see comments as things go. So if people have questions for you while I'm talking to you, they'll be able to to chime in or say hi to you, and I'll, um, okay. I'll be able to, to let you know who's online watching us. So I'm super excited today. This is uh, my jiu-jitsu coach. This is Sergio Machado. And uh, matter of fact, we'll be, uh, well, I got to keep it PG on this. <laughs> it's yeah. on, the, on, the, on the radio. We'll be working out a little bit to, to, today together. He, he comes and teaches at our school on Wednesdays at 2.30. We have a jiu-jitsu class and that he uh, comes and teaches. So we'll be, we'll later be, on uh, and later on today, looking forward to it. And yet we got, yeah, we're looking forward to it. We're looking forward to Wednesdays for sure. So, so uh, like I said before, guys, this is Sergio Machado. And we're going to talk a little bit about jujitsu. We're going to talk about winning. We're going to talk about the mat. We're going to talk about some some life lessons and stuff. But I think uh, the first thing I'll do, Serge, is have you introduce yourself. And I want to make sure I, you talk about your your military, and then we'll get into jujitsu in a second. What uh, that is? And look at Ashley's already saying hi to you. So, for you know how important you are if Ashley is actually up in the morning to listen to you. You what? see that? <laughs> see, Love there Ashley. she is. What's up, Ashley? <laughs> <laughs> um yeah she's saying hi um so go ahead uh mr sergio go ahead and introduce yourself let's talk about your military background first before we get into the jujitsu thing okay all right um is uh grandmaster cox has already uh introduced me my name is sergio machado um i had spent 10 years in the military i was a u.s army ranger uh been stationed all over the united states and a couple of places all over the world I did three tours in Iraq. Um, my last tour was ending in 2007. Got out of the military and got into uh, martial arts where I did MMA, uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, opened up a school, ran that for about uh, 10 years where I competed, uh, competed uh, competitively. Um, and I had the opportunity to uh, really, really meet a lot of good people and um, really make changes in, in people's lives and, and help to be a catalyst to move them forward in a positive way. Um, everybody from, you know, kids going into school to adults who just wanted to compete recreationally or professionally. So, yeah. That's great. I know it's, 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 uh, you know, it's always hard to talk a little bit about yourself and your, and your accomplishments. So I'll, uh, I'll piggyback off what, what you've said, but, We've got you and I got to meet through a, a mutual friend in as far as Carson goes, Carson Fortner out in out in Georgia. You know, our our home our home away from home. You and I love it out there. And so 
that's where it first came about. I really wished um, when you had your school open, we had more of a relationship because I probably would have been down there training constantly uh, down there. That, that would have been a fun experience with you uh, for sure. But my love for jujitsu didn't come around uh, in, when you had a school and it, it came in afterwards. So uh, I always want to talk about your military experience because it's kind of what sets you uh, apart in your jujitsu training uh, just this warrior's mindset that you have. And I think that's what goes hand in hand with our school so much. And the love that you have for the game, the love that you have for competition. All right. I mean, you, you know, you just kind of fit, fit the mold in that kind of a coach that we were looking for. So as you notice, we, I'm wearing your shirt today, our team three shirt. That's what we, love it. we, we call uh, Sergio Machado. So I want to, let's talk about your team three and where that really comes from. So we can have that out there, what, what Team 3 is. All right, so uh, my last uh, – well, I'll, I'll back it up a little bit. So um, 2005, I had uh, it, this shooting pain down the back of my left leg. Um, it took a while for doctors to figure out what it was. It turned out there was two herniated discs in my lower back. Uh, I wasn't able to walk for about nine months. I was bedridden, uh, all, all kinds of painkillers, ultimately – uh, resulting in a back surgery where they were able to kind of take off the herniated portions of my disc that were causing sciatica down my left leg. And up until that point, they were talking about med boarding me, getting me out of the military and a medical. Uh, I was never going to, you know, do the regular military thing ever again. I would never do sports again. I would never walk again if I hadn't, you know, gotten this surgery and moved forward. And, um, it's always a scary thing, but at the same time, I'm a pretty stubborn individual. And I said, no, I'm going to, you know, get the back surgery. And I would say that was uh, March of 2006 is when I had my back surgery. And the beginning of August, I was in country in Iraq uh, for my third and final tour. And uh, I was just super determined not to allow anything to, to get me down statistically. If you know where I, I you know, how I grew up, um, you would understand exactly what, what I mean by not being a statistic. Um, so yeah, got out of the military. Uh, but while I was there, the last tour that I did in 2006 to the end of 2007, I was a, a scout team leader and there were three teams in our platoon. You had team one, team two, and team three. And the sniper section was uh, attached to each one of the teams. Um, I was the team three team leader. And uh, we had a bunch of amazing men in the platoon. But uh, I take pride in uh, team three. Uh, we had the best guys. I literally had the easiest job in the world. Um, by the time, you know, my, uh, my assistant team leader, uh, Michael Peacock, would knock on my door. He'd be like, hey, Sarge, you know, it's time to to go hit this mission real quick and the vehicles would be up, the weapons would be already mounted, all the PMCS, the checks, I mean, everything, the radios. Uh, my guys were absolutely awesome. I could not have asked for a better team. Uh, we were constantly uh, refining our craft. We're, we're learning everything about our weapon systems, everything about our trade craft, everything about, you know, um, medical. I mean, it, it didn't even matter what it was. We were absolute experts in everything. We pushed each other. Uh, we made each other better. And whatever our strengths were, we brought that to the table collectively. When I got out of the military and I decided to 
get into the martial arts world and open up a martial arts studio, I figured to pay homage back to what we had created and I decided to name it Team 3. And so that's where the, the Team 3 comes from. Yeah, that was. Uh, it's always a great story and you know, some of the, the guys that you may have lost there and we carry their on every time we get on the mat, every time we carry their name, we carry, we carry them with us. And, uh, hopefully we do you proud every time we, we try and get out there and Absolutely. work out. So, I mean, it's great, right? You got, you got, you know, Carson Fortner out there, uh, with, with team three, you got myself, you're going to have John, uh, just, you know, we're going to continue that legacy and, and continue those guys being able to, to, to be remembered out there. So super proud to be part of that. Well, I'm real proud to be to part have, of that. To have you a part of that too, you know, and it's, it's kind of cool because Carson out in uh, Savannah, Georgia, you know, you're up there in Chatsworth here in California. It, it has become bigger than me. You know, the cool thing is, is we'll give all of our listeners and I guess viewers an idea of how we kind of met and how this is kind of a full circle thing. Right. So, in 2007, I rotated out of the scout platoon. I was getting out of the military. And when I left the scout platoon, the guy who took over my spot as a Team 3 team leader was uh, David Fowler. David <laughs> Fowler ended up getting a transfer from Hawaii where we were stationed to, um, I want to say it was uh, Stewart. Uh, right. It was a hunter, hunter, hunter army. Well, it was either Hunter or Stewart, one of the two. Yeah. yeah. So he, he, he basically got, got transferred out to uh, Savannah, Georgia, where he met Carson. And he used to help Carson with the jiu-jitsu program out there. And I guess David's like, hey, I got a buddy out in California who does jiu-jitsu. Maybe he can help you out. And that's when I started training with Carson. And then I met Carson, or Carson told me, he's like, hey, my coach is out there in California where you're at. And that's how we ended up uh, getting connected. So what a small world. And it was absolutely meant to be. And again, you know, team three is, is much bigger than me. I'm not team three. It was the collective group. And for every student that I've had since 2010, when I opened my school, um, I mean, we just to watch every single one of those branches, you know, we've all touched each other's lives, not just in the jiu-jitsu community or the MMA community or the, you know, the wrestling or the Muay Thai community, because we, we did all of that under that roof. Um, it's now in Georgia. It's now in California, you know, and, and hopefully it continues going and every single one of us is, is a part of that. Yeah, it, it's been, yeah, it's been a, a super honor. It's been a, it's been a pleasure to be part of that. And we'll, we'll for sure do, do your men proud and the, and the, and the name proud for sure. And we'll carry on. Um, I mean, we've, we've, you know, you were there when I lost my nephew and, uh, you know, the firefighter and being a, a cop now too, you know, it's just, uh, I don't know, you know, we see, you see that kind of stuff on a, on a daily. So super proud to be part of that. So I want to make sure everybody hears where team three came from, why we call it, how we carry on that name, um, for, for that. And so we talked about, um, you know, your law enforcement, you have this you have this passion for teaching anyway and so you also have this passion for making sure police officers are safe but making sure public's safe too you know to make sure that you can train and, and help officers that may need it and to uh keep themselves safe and keep uh, public safe too i mean there's the, you know you've been a, a a cop for a while now you know you know the 
you know, the ins and outs of what, what happens out there. And you're probably one of the very rare breeds that is super trained, you know what I mean, that can handle situations just because of your training, just because of your background, your martial arts, your, your military, uh, you know, uh, all the stuff that how you deal with stress. You know, I guess, you know, you've taken a few IEDs, as you've told me before, being under, under fire and, and how you dealt with stress. And so you've come up with this law enforcement LEO tactical force training to kind of help officers uh, be able to assess, assess better and to keep public safe and the officers safe in this, uh, in this turmoil of where law enforcement is kind of looked at negative. You were trying to put that positive light on there. You want to, you want to tell us a little bit about what your tactical training is for them. Sure. Um, so, Leo Tactic Force Training started with the concept of being able to take what we do as officers on a daily basis. <laughs> is that Carson? <laughs> this is freaking, yeah. freaking up, Carson, Carson, man. I just saw a message from uh, Carson Fortner. He says, hello, sweetheart. You <laughs> 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 got very distracted. Sorry, buddy. Um, so um, at the end of the day... The biggest thing that I ask my partners is simply this question right here. If you knew today was going to be the day that you died doing what you do for a living and you could do something to change that outcome, would you change what you do or would you do the same thing? And every single one of them always tell me I would do something different. Which begs a second question, then why do you do it the way that you do it? You're playing Russian roulette. So, you know, in, in the military, everybody says law enforcement is quasi-military, you know, or paramilitary, whatever you want to say. And I completely disagree. The only thing, the only similarities there is that, you know, you're working for a, a government or the, you know, the city that you work for or the county that you work for, uh, and you wear a uniform. That, that, that's about where the similarities end. The reason I say that is in the military, if you are slow, if you're holding everybody back, if you're failing to meet the standard, nobody has an issue telling you you're the weak link here. <laughs> and you get yeah, right. correctively trained until you fix your deficiencies. Well, in law enforcement, everybody has feelings and, and, and nobody wants to be told that they're wrong or that, you know, they, they could do better. And, you know, we, we have unions to protect us from, you know, somebody hurting our feelings. And so it, it's, it's, it's kind of difficult in the law enforcement community, primarily because um, we have this saying that we don't want a Monday night quarterback what another officer did. But in the military, we have what we call an AR, an actor, uh, after action review. We would pick apart every operation and everything that we did, all the good, all the bad, missed opportunities and things that we can do. And we're absolutely honest and relentless with it so that the next time that we do it, we're doing it better than we did it the last time. We're doing it safer. We're doing it more efficient. We're taking out all of the different things and purging all of the extra movements out of there. So that we can be as streamlined as possible. You know, the, the whole saying of uh, fast is slow and slow is smooth, right? So um, 
I think it's, it's important to understand that there's sometimes where you got to be able to get in there and dissect what you and your partners are doing so that at the end of the day, we can be safe. In the military, you get into a shooting. That's the first of several shootings you're going to have in a day. You're deployed for 365 days. And to be completely honest with you, I mean, on a, as an infantryman kicking in doors and doing those types of operations, you're firing your weapon on a regular basis. And those are life and death exchanges where seconds and inches matter. Mm -hmm. In the law enforcement community, if you get into an officer involved shooting and you're trying to save your life or the life of somebody else, um, what ends up happening is, you know, it, it kind of gets in, in, in our, our psyche and we start, you know, going in circles and, and, and we really, you know, some people have trouble dealing with all of that. So what I'm trying to do with the Leo tactical force training is what most other people are not doing. Everybody wants to teach you how to shoot and firearms and all that kind of stuff. But if you watch every single use of force and every single officer involved shooting, it has one consistency. Number one, non-compliance from the suspect always non-compliance there's something that's going on there that you're missing you need to pay attention to their their mannerisms the, the way that they're looking the way their posture is the way they're speaking to you i mean from the very initial everything you know you're you're, you're going down that checklist of the little spidey senses they're teaching you and they're letting you know what the intention is sometimes you get caught off guard a lot of that is because we're, we're not paying attention. So with mm. what I'm trying to do right. is to teach officers how to keep themselves safer, their partner safer, the public safer, and that potential suspect that you're going to take to jail safer so that nobody gets injured any more than they need to be or any more than, than the situation requires. Um, and unfortunately, you know, we, we are in a business where we are paid to enforce the law and to keep the public safe. And when you do that, there are a lot of ramifications that, that come from that. So that's um, true. Yes. I'm, I'm just trying to, to close the gap. So a lot of people are going and they're more involved in jujitsu now than they ever have been. Right. Something is better than nothing. Correct. But there's nothing that a black belt or a purple belt or a white belt who doesn't, who is not a law enforcement officer is going to be able to teach you any better than somebody who is in the business. That's correct. Cops teach other cops much better than somebody who has no clue what fourth amendment is, what search and seizure is, you know, what, what, what the fifth amendment is first amendment, all these different things that they kind of play into, you know, your departmental policy, state law, um, all the different things. And, and then we, we have, you know, different thresholds. What, what are we looking at here? Are we looking at an infraction? Are we looking at a misdemeanor? Are we looking at a felony? Not all felonies are created equal, unfortunately, especially here in California. Is it a violent felony or is it a property crime? And then, so these are kind of, you know, you got to weigh the risk, you know, of apprehending this person versus the safety of yourself and, and, and the public. And so that's where Leo Tactic Force training is coming in to, to be able to help officers be safer overall and the public. Yeah, it's awesome. <clears throat> you know, Serge, I don't think, uh, I don't think you could get a better man to, to, uh, to face that, you know, you've got, you've got somebody with military experience and you've got a police officer, your competition, what you've learned on the mat, what you've learned on the job. Uh, I can't find a, a better person to get in front of our law enforcement and, and help and help the public and, and the law enforcement. So super but excited to, to, there, there to uh, be part of that. There are many out there. 
and, and they're yeah. doing good stuff. So yeah, uh, I'm, I'm it's good. So Joe, you see Joe right there. He's yeah. GI Joe, you know, your, your, your Ranger buddy there says that, that you're his hero with his little heart emojis. That's the most, uh, you know, heartfelt thing I've ever seen Joe put up in my life. But so. I, I, I like how he ends it. He, he ended it with the uh, first Ranger Battalion. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, you know, I'm sure that he's, there's some poor little mom over there on the studio today that he's going through boot camp with right now. Um, <laughs> trying to take Krav class. Greg Mills, I don't know if you ever met him or not, Sergio. He's, uh, he's one of uh, Black Belts from here, or okay. Krav Maga, and he's in Virginia now. He got oh, out nice. of California. He's got he got out of California and uh, got to go to Virginia, so he's on he's online listening, saying hi to you. So that was great. Okay. I wanted so let's 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 get into the jujitsu, man. Let's talk about life a little bit and 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 why I connect so well to you when I found a love for jujitsu. Uh, the first time you came to my office and I said, you know, uh, from Carson, I, you came to my office and I think I gave you some. I think I gave you a Rager Battalion whiskey bottle after we spoke. Uh, I could tell by the fir- our first meeting where we actually could talk to each other like uh, this is going to be this is going to be a lifelong coach of mine, and I'm looking forward to being mentored by him and uh, and learning. And then I took class with you in jujitsu for the first time, and it was eye opening. You know my you know your gr- my grip was like a little pansy. Uh, you know I couldn't I didn't have that what I did now, and I'm like. Man, I, I, you know, I'm a strong dude and I'm weak as, you know, I'm weak as all get out. Right. And so I'm like, I, this needs to change. And then we, we just found it. We just found. So how did jujitsu come to you? How did, how did it come? Because what, what you said here before, so people could have a good understanding that you were told you're not even going to walk again. Oh yeah. Okay. And that you couldn't do what you do. And then you go on to win, win huge championships, um, in competition. So let's talk about your jujitsu journey, how that came about and why you did it. You know, so I, I think the jujitsu journey, I, I got to go back to my childhood a little bit. Um, so I was brought up in a household where any kind of martial arts or violence was kind of a bad thing. Um, so I never got to do any karate or taekwondo or, you know, any kind of martial arts whatsoever uh, growing up, although I was very fascinated with it. So when I joined the military, I remember going to GRTC, which is a, a training base out in Louisiana, uh, before we went out to the desert. And one of the sergeants there, he was much shorter than I was, a lot lighter than I was. He tuned me up. We, we had a little boxing smoker and he tuned me up pretty good. Um, and that, that didn't feel good because I, I, there was nothing that I could do to stop him from hurting me at his pleasure. <laughs> and, and, that, sounds like, that sounds like every Wednesday here at the studio with you. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, it's funny because it's, it's, it's such a, a scary place to be that you cannot save yourself. No matter how much you want to save yourself in that moment, you, you just can't do it. And, um, so it was kind of an eye opener for me. And then like, like I had, you know, previously stated when I had that pain shooting down the back of my left leg, you know, I was in bed for a long time and I had nothing to do, but watch TV. And I really got into the UFC. Uh, I started watching, I, I, I thought I you know, I wanted to be this big time MMA fighter. Um, and then 
after I had my back surgery, we deployed to Iraq in 2006. It was the very beginning of August um, 2006. When we got there, I ended up linking up with a CIA guy who was there. Um, and he and I, he was a brown belt under Pedro Sauer at the time. And he really opened my eyes. He showed me all the jiu-jitsu, Abu Dhabi, um, the ADCC. He showed me all these different competitions where these guys were just destroying each other with body movement. And I, I didn't understand it. And it, it sparked a fire so much so that jiu-jitsu took a precedence over the way that, you know, I was just thinking and training and you know, before it was like lifting big weights to be a big, strong guy. And then it became, I just, I need to be able to have my conditioning, my gas tank. I need to be able to go and, you know, be flexible and all this different stuff to the point where we had um, Friday fight nights in uh, Kirkuk <laughs> Air Base in Iraq, where I think it was the last, what it was, Friday of, of each month, people would come in. And they would compete in a no rules, no time limit jujitsu match, and anything went as long as you're, you know, you're not striking. And uh, we had probably about, I don't know, maybe four, five, six of those things throughout the time that we were deployed over there. And we were on an air base, so we got a lot of airmen that were out there. Um, a couple of Marines had competed with us, and, and a lot of Army guys. And it was a really cool time to be able to kind of decompress from what we were doing on the daily out there. You know, we're out there, you know, trying to, you know, do these missions. And then we come back to the, to the FOB or the forward, uh, forward operating base and, you know, roll around and, and, you know, everybody, it was kind of cool because it was in a gymnasium setting where you had all these, these people working out and everybody would watch. And then by the last one, it was like a show and they all knew it was coming around and they didn't have <laughs> bleachers there. It was really cool. I got out of the military and I had decided I'm going to chase this dream. I, I want to be a black belt one day. I want to be a world champion and I want to open my own gym. And over the last, well, since 2007, I've been able to accomplish all three of those goals and, and so much more that I never even saw on the horizon. And the coolest thing was, is at some point in that process, it stopped becoming about me and, you know, all of these selfish goals of wanting to be, you know, the greatest and the best. And I want to be a world champion and I want a black belt and all this stuff to now wanting to be a part of something bigger than myself. Once again, you know, obviously in the mm -hmm. law enforcement to make myself, you know, my partners, the public, the people that we're dealing with potentially going to jail, everybody safer. Um, being a part of change in, in every single person that I come in contact with, either at my gym, your gym, Carson's gym, everybody comes in with a story. Everybody comes in with something that they're, they're struggling with that nobody else is aware of. Mm -hmm. And to them, yeah. that's the biggest thing in their life that they're struggling with at that very moment. And you have an opportunity that when they walk in the door of your gym or they come in contact with you on those mats, you have an opportunity to improve that thing for them or make it worse. And I've always found, you know, the harder that I train and the more that I apply myself on the mats for that hour and a half, two hours or whatever time you're spending in that gym, 
you're not thinking about your bills. You're not thinking about your health issues. You're not thinking about your broken relationship. You're not thinking about, you know, the, the trouble that you're having with your kids or your friends or, you know, job or whatever the case may be. In that moment, you're struggling to survive. That's correct. Yep. You're, 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 you're fighting, you know, your insecurities. You're, you're fighting your deficiencies. You're, you're learning new stuff. And it's different than a lot of other martial arts because the person that you're training with is trying to impose their will upon you in that <laughs> moment, right. whether it's That's correct. an arm bar or a choke or a takedown. And it's, it's, it's primal. You have to survive in that moment. And just like in combat, when those rounds, they, they come snapping by you know your head or they, they hit a wall that you're nearby, the type of car you drive or the amount of money in your bank account or you know what city you live in doesn't matter anymore. Life has now just gotten prioritized in a matter of hundreds of a second. And the same thing is on the mat. You don't care. Nothing. It, it's all equal playing field. Those mats will never lie to you. And in that moment, you have an opportunity to take that person out of whatever they're struggling with and help them pre-prioritize uh, pre, uh, their life. I think that's such a powerful thing to be able to do that. And that's what I, I, I absolutely I live for now. Yeah, so well, I think that was, was selfish to begin with. Right. <laughs> and now I, I think I just want to be a part of that change. Well, I think I think the uh, all of our martial arts journeys are are selfish at first. I I relate totally to what you say. I, I told you before. I think what got me back on that wagon is in 2017 when I had a health scare, and then uh, I was told I had to take this medication, which allowed didn't allow me to have any more head contact or fighting or sparring like I used to do because that was really my love and I took the warrior part out of me after that. You know, I was trying to find purpose. And then it's just like you said, this is combat, you know, um, and when you're on the mat, I think it's 100% when I get on that mat with you or when I'm teaching too, uh, you know, both as a teacher or a student now is just there. It doesn't really matter. The mat doesn't care what color you are. It doesn't care about your sexual orientations. It doesn't do anything but saying, uh, okay, this person in front of me, male or female, Okay. Oh yeah. Uh, right. I mean, it does. It does not. You're right. It does not give a rat's ass about how you feel at that particular time when somebody else is trying to impose their will, and that you are going to get to have this combat. And the better man or woman at that particular time is going to win. Just you like. Know what's crazy about jujitsu? Honestly, I, I, I see Brandon just, just popped up right now, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see you on here, Brandon, because I, I want to give a shout-out to Brandon and everybody over at uh, Checkmat down in Marietta and even uh, down there in Temecula. Boy, I get humbled every single day. I got humbled yesterday. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't matter what belt they are. They're coming for you, and the belt just shows where you've been. It doesn't show where you're going. It doesn't show what you're doing today. And uh, it, it's crazy because I, I have such a great opportunity to have an amazing, talented group of people that just put it to me every single day that I get on those mats. And, and regardless of whether they're white belt, purple belt, or a black belt, um, I know they're going to give me 100% every single day. And I choose to be and put myself in those positions to be there because it's it's guys like Brandon and all the rest of the the, the 
you know, my, my partners down there training that just really forced me to be the best version of me on that moment. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, <laughs> well, yeah, well, right. We don't really look at our wins as much as we look at our failures. I tell my own students that my, my biggest life lessons isn't my wins, it's my failures. And, uh, and that's either where you're going to win. That's where you're going to lose, win or lose in your mind, right? Are, are you going to acclimate and, and do Facebook posts, you know, of all the times you win? Or are you going to get real and say, okay, today sucked. Okay, I just got, uh, you know, I just got, I just got worked. And, and uh, so it's not all Facebook, Instagram happy. You know, and uh, I'm glad I'm, I'm glad, Brandon, I don't think I've got haven't got to meet him. Brandon, I haven't got to meet you yet, but I know that we've been invited to go down with Sergio one day. And our, our group down here is looking forward to, uh, you know, getting on the mat and being spanked a little bit by you guys down there. It, it'll be fun for sure. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that that's this is why this is why I had you on on this on this cast today to talk about this winning and losing. I think one of the. You know, nobody gets to hear kind of kind of our our mat talks, right? When we're when, after we after we've done some battle, and we're um, hour and a half into training, six solid you know six to ten solid rounds of of rolling after class, and and then the thoughts come out of you know what it's like, and if it's you know how special it is that winning special. I think I, and that's one thing that you said on the Matt talks one, one time, it's like, people just don't understand that winning is a special thing. And I think that that's missing in all martial arts, in all schools, in the trophy, uh, uh, you know, and it's evident like, so Matthew, I told you, Matthew, uh, he did his very first tournament, right? Uh, and he did, and he takes he takes a, a third place in a no geese. Never done it before, never done any competition. But he calls me and goes, "All right, Mr. Cox, I did. Uh, we competed today." I said, "Well, how'd you do?" He didn't say he won. He goes, "I was the second loser today." And I was just like, <laughs> "What the?" I was just like, "What the heck, dude?" Yeah. And uh, you know, because he was out there, he's such a competitive beast. You know what I mean? But. Once again, he said, which is good, right? Because after that, he says, I got work to do, man. I got, I got, there's some holes in that, that I got I to I I deal with. So let's talk about your philosophy of winning, what that looks like today. You know, what, what's, what's cool is, is you've already said it. My philosophy of winning has changed uh, easily 180 degrees in the last decade. When you first start uh, doing any kind of a journey into the martial arts world, it's all about, I got to win. I got to win. I got to win. And, and you're driving to get that gold medal or that first place. Um, you know, you, you want to impress your coach. And the funny thing is, is like from white to brown belt, you really work hard to prove your worth. And then you get your black belt and uh, you realize very quickly that you're insignificant. You're, you're nobody, you know, and, and, and I'm an older guy, you know, so I'm, I'm 42 now, but, um, when I started competing, I was 27 and that's kind of been, you know, older, right? I got kids who are, you know, three, four, five, six, and that's when they started their, their journey. And mm-hmm. God, I, I, I wish I was able to do that. But at 27 right. years old, I had a good three years where I was in the adult division. And then I went to the master's division. And then by the time I got my black belt, um, I learned very quickly that 
I went to a completely different ranking. I'm now competing against guys who've been black belts longer than I had been training jujitsu at all. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, it's a whole <laughs> new different class yes. that you're dealing with. So you're not trying to impress your coach anymore. Now you're like, Oh my God, I got to be able to prove that I'm a black belt <laughs> that I'm legitimate, that my students aren't, you know, wasting their, their money and their time learning from me. And you know, then, then the philosophy kind of developed into, I hate losing more than I want to win. You know, <laughs> and it's, it's, it's crazy. And, and, you know, I, I told this story once and, um, there was one year in particular, it was the year before I won the world championships in 2012, the IBJJF at Brown belt. And I was doing the, uh, Nogi worlds. I was primed and ready. And for those of you who compete, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When I say that there is rarely a time that you'll ever compete, that you're a hundred percent no injuries, you feel great, you're on weight, you're energized. Um, that was my year. I think it was uh, the 2011 year as, at Brown Belt. And I was ready to win. I knew in my mind that I was as prepared as I possibly could be. And I ended up uh, competing against DJ Jackson that year. And he had my number. It, didn't, it did not matter what I did. Um, I gave him everything I had. I was completely conditioned, in shape. All the techniques was, was flawlessly performed. Everything I could have possibly done, and I couldn't do anything. My only claim to fame that year was that I was the only person who didn't submit. Um, but that doesn't mean anything because I left the mat, and I remember you know, having, watching him get his hand raised, and I'm sitting there, and I, I'm, or I'm standing there on the mat, and the referee is raising his hand, and I'm doing everything I can not to just burst into tears. I literally walked off the mat, jumped over the barriers, went under the bleachers, and cried like a baby. And it was all of that emotion. I had expected to win, and I was let down. There's times where we compete, and you're expecting to lose. And you do these <laughs> like mental gymnastics to keep yourself in the game, but you're looking for every excuse on why you're going to lose. Oh man, that guy's, you know, his belt is really worn out or he's got a lot of stripes or, Oh my God, he's got tattoos on his face and his neck. And you know, this guy's huge. And you make all these excuses. Oh, he's got all these patches on his gi. He's sponsored by the world. Right. And you're finding a reason why you're going to lose. And you're looking for that out. The end result is the same. You lost. But the mindset is 100% different. I was more hungry after the loss I, had, I was not expecting than the loss that I had expected. Does that make sense? Yes. Winning is a very special thing. There's a small percentage of, of competitors in any sport that are constantly winning. But it doesn't mean that the effort that you put into that leading up to your competition is any different. I am training for that final, that gold medal match, that 10-minute round after fighting six, seven, eight times to go 100% with everything I absolutely have. That's what I'm training for. Whether I win or whether I lose is irrelevant. I'm, I want to win, of course, but you're going to remember my name. You're mm -hmm. going to know you were in a fight with me. 
if I give 110% of me and I know that I did everything that I could to show up that day completely prepared for the battle, there's nothing more that you can ask. It's easy to fight a fight you're guaranteed to win. There's no glory in that. <laughs> that's that, that's I want right. I to see you fight a fight that you're guaranteed to lose and still put forth the same amount of preparation and the same amount of effort and to still step in that mat and give it everything you got. Because at that moment, you're leaving with so much more. You know where that, that wall is. If you're constantly pushing yourself to your very limit, then you know how far you can go and how far you can push it and how far you, you can really, really get yourself to go. So when you're in that fight for your life, should it be a real fight for your life? You know where that wall is at. I'm not there yet. I got more to give. And I got more to give. And I got more to give. And you keep pushing yourself until that absolute limit. So that that's just where I've kind of evolved in terms of the whole winning aspect. Winning is great, but it is special. And it doesn't happen all the time. But it should not diminish the amount of effort that you put into the preparation and that moment of truth when you're actually in combat. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. I think your 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 philosophy of that is is by far uh, the best. I in my in my uh, days of competing, uh, some of this negative talk has come to the detriment of me losing world championships because of a negative thought in my in my thought process. And and I was the one to beat, and and I knew it, but I don't know. I still had a, a negative thought one time, one of these years, and then I. <laughs> The, and then I lost it. I, then I lost after I'd spent the whole year competing for that seed. And then I lost it because of a negative, just a negative thought that I had. And I think as a teacher, I try to let our, you know, this will help lead into this jujitsu world, right? In, in, in our martial arts world, we have, it's, it's pretty much, you know, cause everybody in jujitsu, you can't, you can't get a black belt. You can a junior cannot get a black belt. Right. The martial arts world, that's a little bit different, whether it's Taekwondo or Tongsudo like I have or Krav Maga, we have what's called junior black belt level. And I know a lot of people think that, oh, this little kid's got this black belt and what this is. But when you see what it produces, like uh, like an Ashley Sage or my son, Michael, uh, Nathan Carlin, all these guys were little kids when they started and they got little junior black belts, but now being with me for 15, 20, 30, 40 years and what they've turned into as far as martial artists goes, they've grown into that. And I think jujitsu, it already has a, a built-in thing. If you stick with it, uh, you're going to grow into becoming a black belt. It, it, it just it, it, And there's no other way in, in jujitsu. Uh, you can't read a book. There's no shortcuts. And, and, and there's no shortcuts. You're going to have to test your will and your skill, all right, and, and uh, up against people that are, are better. And, and, you know, you can skate through sometimes, even in Krav, right? I mean, there's instructors out there that's never even uh, in Krav Maga that have a black belt that barely fight, that barely do anything. And it, it, it begs to differ. Does that have anything to do with self-defense? You know, I don't know. It, it, you know, I think that 
you have to test your skills somewhere to see if you can deal with the stress of, of, of being confronted. And I, you know, just because I like it doesn't mean, you know, the, the normal person or the average person digs that they just don't. But I think that I want to talk about how jujitsu works in if, if a parent can make them, you know, I don't know, you had a school, I, I didn't talk to you about this uh, pre-show, but what kind of turnover you had in juniors, uh, if they didn't have this goal to ever become black belt, did you have a lot of turnover in jujitsu in, in, in the youth? Or did you see them go in and, and become adults and, and go into, into training after that when they hit 16? Did you see a lot of them stick around? Or because it's, it's, you know, it's not like it's not like baseball season. You could be the worst player on the soccer team, and you're getting your trophy like everybody else. It, you know, even when I was in school, I mean, we, you know, I'm a little. I heard you say how old you are at 42, whatever, bro. And uh, I'm old. And, you know, when you hit well, when you hit 60, you're still probably doing cartwheels over people. But, um, you, you know, so the. You know, I want I want to hear what your thought process is on on this. You have a, you have a theory on non non curriculum based uh, jujitsu as opposed to. I want to talk about that a little bit. What what that looks like to you? What 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 you've experienced in that in that world? Well, let, let's go ahead and start with the the question of turnover, right? So, I opened my gym in two thousand ten spent every dollar we we had between my partner and I we opened up uh, in Ontario right off of Euclid and the 60 freeway luckily for us Euclid's a, a, bay, a main MSR we had probably over a hundred thousand people and a bus stop right in front of our place that would pass by every single day we were in a, a mediocre shopping center but there was a lot of walk-by traffic and and we didn't have money for next month's rent and the big thing obviously is you know, when you open a business that is customer based where you're, you're just, you know, it's all about interpersonal uh, communication and, and just, you know, those skills that you have with people, they can get jujitsu anywhere here in California. It's on every corner, like McDonald's and some are kind of McDonald's. Um, but why are they going to want to learn from you? Right. The greatest thing about, that whole turnover question is simply this, is the majority of the students that I had, a vast majority, 80% easily, stayed with me from the minute that I opened up my school until unfortunately I had to close. Um, I got guys who, you know, were kids. They were teenagers when I, when I was training them. And then, you know, almost a decade later, I'm going to their Sheriff's Academy graduation, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and it's so awesome to have this journey with everybody. I mean, you know, be, I had Junior and, and, and Esteban who joined my gym were probably the one of the, the first students that ever walked through my gym. They ended up, you know, being uh, students of mine. Then they were instructors and then they were training partners. And, and it's so awesome because there's nothing more glorious as a jujitsu instructor when you're able to see somebody walk in your doors that doesn't really know anything about jujitsu or martial arts as a whole. And they turn from this person who doesn't know anything to a training partner that pushes you to your absolute limit. 
you know, I, I used to get up and, and, and be at the gym at 6 a.m. And all the girls would, would, would show up and a couple of the guys, but mostly the girls were, were always there. And they were gamers from Wendy and Gina and, and Millie and Jeanette and, and uh, 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 I'm forgetting all of the other names, so I apologize. But they, they were there every single early morning, given everything they had. And it was, it was cool to, to see the, these kids. I, I had this little kid, Mario. Uh, and he was an absolute beast, and you know Sebastian, and uh, just all these these kids that were just absolutely phenomenal. And I was a part of that. I wasn't the reason. I was just a, a small catalyst in, into being able to to watch them do their stuff. So we had talked about curriculum, and I know curriculum in a traditional martial arts sense is is kind of a good idea, but I've never been a curriculum based instructor. And so my, my philosophy on, on teaching is simply this. I like to teach in a series, and I like to start with the basic series. I mean, it, you, can't, you can't gauge who's going to come in at what type or what, what time in your uh, series they're going to come in. You know, you, you'd be teaching, you know, basic closed guard chokes, you know, from the, the closed guard or whatever. And then, you know, three, four months down the road, you're teaching, you know, spider guard or de la Hiva or a deep half, and it's a little more advanced for you know, some of the guys and, you know, you can break it down into, you know, different skill levels. But at the end of the day, jujitsu has a way of becoming normal to people who are there on a regular basis. And as an instructor, you get to watch every single one of these people get better as they're, they're going. I don't believe in testing for belts. I don't believe in, in giving somebody a curriculum where they, okay, you got to perform this sweep and this number of takedowns and this, you know, type of submission or whatever. Your test is every single day you walk in there, how you interact with your, your partners. Are you on time? Do you give 100%? Maybe not necessarily aggressively, but you're there mentally. You understand what, you know, if, if you're a 250 pound man, how you're training with that 110 pound woman. Are you just laying on top of people or are you allowing people to move? Are you challenging yourself? Are you the guy or a girl with the ego? A lot mm -hmm. goes into, you know, those promotions. You can be a white belt with me and you'll be a white belt for years. And I don't care if you're submitting everybody. You got a crappy attitude. You're going to be a white belt because I don't I don't reward the crappy attitudes and the egos. So I always tell people there, there are three types of promotions that, that I do. One, these shoes are going to fit at some point. You got some growing into. Two, it's right on time that you should be promoted now. And then three, this was well overdue. I wanted to hold you back for whatever, you know, reason. And at the end of the day, it's none of your business where you're at in that process. <laughs> it's up to your coach, right? That's so I always tell my, my students, I'm like, listen, if you ever ask when you're going to get promoted, I always give them the same answer. As soon as I forget that you asked. <laughs> so number one, don't ask when you're going to get promoted. Um, but number two, it's none of your business where you're at or how many stripes you're, you're going to get or, you know, when that next belt is coming, you come, you give a hundred percent. It goes back to that, that winning mindset conversation we just had, whether you win that fight or lose that fight is irrelevant. The amount of work and the effort put into it is exactly the same. You have to be able to give that same exact effort, even if you know you're going to lose. So even if you go to the promotions and you know you're not getting promoted because everybody starts showing up, okay, we got promotions, you know, pretty you know, typical is like, okay, Christmas, 
pre-Christmas promotions and then, you know, you're yeah. into pre-summer promotions, you know, they do it twice a year. All right, everybody, we're going to do a potluck and a barbecue and everybody comes and like you start showing up to class the last month, every single day. And you really put in that effort. But where were you when it was hard to get your butt over there to the gym after work? Where were you when, you know, your, your partner was struggling over there? Were, were you doing the extra drilling or spending the extra time working with them? Or not, or are you just kind of doing your own thing? And then now it's time to have promotions and you want to shine. We had a military, or we had a saying in the military, we called that a spotlight ranger. That was the kind of person that <laughs> they only performed when they knew they were being watched or evaluated. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's, we all know those people. They're blue falcons. Yeah. They, <laughs> that's so freaking true. So it was, you know, I had, you know, I had started this. I, I don't know if I told you my journey in jujitsu started um, with um, the Machados, right? We, we had this big convention and John Jock was supposed to show and uh, he didn't. So his brown belt came, David Myers. And there's at least a hundred of us there right now. We really didn't know anything about what was going down, right? And then it was fun and we're rolling around the ground. We're learning this stuff. And Dave Myers is this real low-key, a lot like my son Michael, right? Just kind of a low-key dude. And he's submitting everybody. Like it's like he's the lion and he's playing with food in the cage, right? I'm like, oh my. And I'm kind of the pit bull of the, of this organization. You know, I'm the I'm the fighter. And I'm like, I'm watching everybody. I'm going, he is going to smoke me, man. Because I have no clue what's going what's going on. And so finally it comes to my turn. Oh, Mr. Cox is going up. And I mean, I don't even know if it took him 30 seconds to arm bar me. I don't know. Cause I had no, I had no clue what I was doing. Right. And I knew leaving there, I said, okay, here's a deficiency in my students. Now I've got so many black belts. We have none of this. I said, I can't do that. That's how I started with David Myers and uh, John will and stuff like that in, in that realm. And they had a, uh, a way of, of being able, cause he could, you know, he wasn't around all the time. So we did private lessons and my juju, <laughs> my thing in John jocks one time, he goes, Hey, why don't you come to the studio? We'll do our private lesson there. Now, ma- mind you, dude, I really, we weren't really in the, in the whole jujitsu uniform and we were just kind of doing this stuff. And he goes, Hey, let's do class. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, class is class. Except we don't really have white belts. We have in our we have our our uniform from the other school from on right, and so we have black belts on. And I'm going to tell you something: we got smoked, okay, wearing that rank in class. I'm like, this is some bullshit. All right, I I looked at him. I said, you set us up, and I and I said, I said I will never come in here again with that kind of a rank and. And then that's where it all started because I just really felt that we were very deficient there. I mean, when you, when you're when there's nothing you can do on the ground, oh, yeah. and you've done martial arts for ten or fifteen years, you're like, are you serious? What are we doing here? And did, did you, you know, ever then, train with Jean Jacques personally? Yes, yes. So yes, you know, I, I started with Jean Jacques back in uh, 2007, and if, and for anybody who doesn't know Jean Jacques, I mean, he's a coral belt. And uh, he's missing his you know, fingers on his left hand. He literally has a thumb and uh, <laughs> a pinky. And so his, his left hand looks like this. He's, he's got a full right hand. And when you first meet him, I mean, 
one of the nicest guys on the planet, you're like, okay, I'm going to start training with this guy. It, it takes five seconds, right? About five seconds before you, you, you forget the fact that this guy doesn't <laughs> even have a left hand. <laughs> yes. I mean, he does more with the one hand and his you know other hand than I could with like what what is he doing? It, it, <laughs> he's got this. He taps into stuff, and that's the great thing about jujitsu is is when you roll with somebody at that caliber. And and I, I remember asking him questions. I'd be like, "Hey, John Jack, I got a question about this." And then he would kind of pause and he would do this thing and like his, this thousand yard stare. He go, and then all of a sudden he'd like start teaching. You're like, whoa. Like, was he like tapping into some like, you know, encyclopedia <laughs> that his ancestors had, you know, cause he, he's one of the, he's part of the Gracie family. Man. He's, he's, that, yeah. His, his mom is a, a Gracie, right? So it's really, really cool to, to be able to have those moments where there, you can't burpee your way or bench press your way or <laughs> will your way out of a choke <laughs> or an arm bar. It's you either do or you don't, there is no in that, between. And, you know, it, it's, it's one of them things is once in a while you get lucky, but sometimes we yeah. mistake our luck for good technique. And that's yeah. probably one of the biggest mistakes. <laughs> I, I think, yeah, that's a hundred percent. So, and you know, I, I, I see that with you. I, you're such a good coach with us sometimes, you know, cause I know when we're going, you know, there's times you're like, Oh, oh you think you got something. And then we're like, and then it's just, you know, we, it is what it is. Right. And then, or you're going to allow us to get into a position for us to work because like you said, I think that's the best thing is jujitsu is this big. Your jujitsu is going to be this big and working around kind of, you know, knee replacements and, and you, you know, and all the stuff that I got going on. And I, and I wanted to talk about that because, you know, I had that blue belt forever in a day and I, and, and the other coach, I just wasn't, it wasn't a gel. I didn't like to train at eight o'clock at night after I've been at the studio all day. And I didn't have that. It wasn't until 2017 till I was told that I wasn't going to be able to do something that, that I loved anymore, which is fighting. And then I really started kind of looking at it. And then when you promoted me that day, you know, you took me that, that took me because I, in my head, right. After even after I left there in my head, I'm like, how am I wearing this rank, man? Okay, because I've seen what purple belts can do in schools. I, I've seen it. It's not a, it's not some little bullshit rank, right? I've seen what they're capable of, and a good purple belt can 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 put people to to shame. And I'm like, but you know, it, you know, and you can't question your coach, even though you're like, well, let's, bro. Let's talk about that for a second. You know, it 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 isn't so much you know not being able to question your coach, although that, that's not a, a common practice you should get used to. Um, <laughs> but at the end of the day, your, your coach, your coach sees something in you and you know, he's your coach because you've trusted him to develop you. Right. I see something in you that I know that you don't even see in you. And there's times where, I bring your, you know, attention and make you aware of certain things at a certain time for a particular reason. And as I watch you develop, I know that you're struggling with, you know, knees and back and, you know, maybe weight or, you know, conditioning or, you know, maybe you got, you know, something going on in your personal life. Like I'm highly aware of what's going on with every single one of my students. But again, we talked about those three promotions that, that, that I believe in. 
you know, either one, you're going to grow into these shoes, two, you fit these shoes, and three, they were long overdue. And it's none of your business where you fall into any of that. And at the end of the day, when, when, you, when you're doing your thing on the mat, it's my job to pay attention to everything that you're doing. But the biggest mistake as a martial artist is comparing yourself with the next person. You don't, you, you, you don't need to do that. Because mm-hmm. if you're constantly comparing yourself, oh, well, I'm not as you know, strong as that person or I'm not as conditioned as that person or they're able to do this and that. Listen, their journey isn't the same as yours. Your perspectives are completely different. Your goals are completely different. So how are you going to judge everybody on the same grading scale? You just absolutely can't. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's my job as a coach to be able to see that. Now, you have a good coach that's going to be able to teach you some moves. You have another one who's a little better who's going to be able to teach you what he does very, very well. And then you have the best kind of coach that's going to be able to teach you the stuff that's going to benefit you the best, even if it's not my game or my style, I can see what you do and what's going to work best for you. And that's kind of the person who's, who you really want to be under to be able to understand, like, listen, this is what's good for him. This is how his journey is. This is what his end state and and goals are. And I I think that that's important to, to keep in mind. Yeah. Well, I think that, you you know, and that's right, because as somebody as other instructors, I've got the same thing. What I feel somebody else has done or how they how they how they go. And I've got students that that question some of the stuff that I do, too. But, you know, I say the same thing. You know, it's none of your business what I'm doing with so and so. It's none of your business what I'm doing here. And but to hear that from a coach to another to another coach, that was that was a hard one, man. I really. You know, it took me a few days to even put it out there that I got it. I had to really wrap my head around that because I felt I, I, I got to have to put something, uh, you know, it, this I, I'm going to have to bring something more to the table. And I said, you know, I said, freaking Sergio did that on purpose, man, to push me, man. Okay. And so, and, and that's right. Right. It is exactly what it did. And, uh, you know, and to, and I think it, you know, it just, it pushed me to a different level. There's no, there's no doubt about it. And I think as we wrap up this hour, cause you got to get ready to come down here anyway, but uh, I, I want to get some final thoughts on, on the correlation between life on the mat and life off the mat and how jujitsu kind of bridges that. I'm going to get your final thoughts on that before we end this. All right. So I look at it like this. Anybody can be a fighter. You just got to not quit to be a fighter, right? You don't even have to be good to be a fighter, to be a martial artist, to be a, an, a student of your art. It, it, it takes humility. It, it takes dedication. It takes um, determination to be able to remember why you started to be honest and evaluating your deficiencies as well as your strengths, because sometimes we rely highly on our strengths. Um, an unguarded strength is a double weakness. Sometimes we, we forget that we need to continue improving upon our strengths. And, uh, you know, there, there, there's so many different facets that you got to think about when it comes to creating yourself as a martial artist. But at the end of the day, when you train in a gym, it's in a controlled environment. 
You have people that you can trust to train with you that are not going to hurt you intentionally. You have a padded floor or, you know, whatever it is. You have a rule set. Um, you have a time limit. Like these are all things that are, are specifically put in place to make training as safe as possible so you have longevity in that martial art or sport. But life is going to find you. And life doesn't care, like you said earlier, what your sexual orientation is, your gender, your race. It doesn't matter what you do for a living. It doesn't matter if you're in shape or not in shape. Life will find you. And when it does find you, it is unforgiving and it's absolutely relentless. Mm -hmm. And it will destroy you if you give it an opportunity. So the question that, that I pose to people who, who are in a um, position to be created a victim, are you going to be ready in that moment of truth? You don't choose when it comes. You don't choose who it's presented by. And you don't choose the environment at which it, it, it happens. It could be in your home. It could be on the street. It could be at work. I'll give you an example. Uh, I was at the supermarket the other day, like literally the day before yesterday, and I was walking down the aisle and I felt a really hard like shoulder bump. So I turn around and it was this Asian guy and he was probably about 215, maybe six foot tall. And I just turned, I looked at him, I was like, what's going on? He's like, are you Mexican? I said, what? yeah. And he goes, what? I effing hate Mexicans. Want to fight? I'm like trying to figure out in the moment, like, like we're in the middle of the cheese aisle at Albertsons. Am I really going to put this dude in the hospital? Evaluate what's really going on in that moment. And, you know, it, I, I, I use that as kind of a, a, a funny kind of <laughs> story is, you know, it, I, I never saw it coming. Oh like, my he, goodness. He, I mean, aggressive people, crazy people, uh, criminals, there is no look like they don't have a sign and say, today's the day I'm going to try and, and kill you. Right. So <laughs> you don't choose where these things happen. You can be at work. You could be at home in the middle of the night, you know, and, and I, I'm, I'm kind of a nut though. I, I think about all that kind of stuff, you know, like, like if somebody breaks in my house right now, do I have shoes and in my, in my underwear, you know, like where, where, where the guns are at, you know, like what my egress and ingress routes are going to be, you know, where I'm going to fight for like, you know, I, I think about all that stuff. Right. Cause I, I think that's kind of like the, the military, but I take it to an extreme, but just basic awareness of not being a victim just understanding where your surroundings are at, understanding that warrior mindset and, and, and how you're going to present yourself in that moment of truth. Listen, again, I don't care as much about winning and losing in that moment as you are going to get everything I have to offer. If you've decided to invade my personal space and you want to cause harm to me, my loved ones, or somebody else around me, you're going to meet me at my absolute best in that moment. And, you know, it, it is what it is. So I want to be as prepared and I train everybody that I train with to be as prepared for that moment. Because again, you don't choose when it's presented to you, how it's presented to you and where it's presented to you. Yeah. I think those are great. Those are great closing words as we get ready to, 
to end this off, uh, Sergio, man, this was, uh, this was awesome. I, I can see us kind of doing a round two. I've got some other questions when it comes to, uh, some of your philosophies, uh, that, that, you know, we, we, we get to have you every week. So we're blessed to have you every week. Um, I, I know that, yeah, you know, I know that, uh, it's, you know, we're just lucky to have a coach that that's that invests their time and, and energy into us like, like you do. So it's been, uh, you know, it's been real fun. So I want to thank you for today. We'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll pack this up and, um, and I'll look at round two and we'll find another date. And then I got some good specific questions. Cause I think I'm, we're going to have a really good, um, response here. Everybody sees where you're kind of, you're coming from. I appreciate you as my coach. I love you like a brother and, uh, we'll see you here in uh, just about two, three hours. Yeah. All right. Three hours. You've been listening to Real Talk with Mark Cox. Real life, real topics, real conversation. We're passionate about motivation, fitness, self-defense, weight loss, and coming at it from a real angle. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you had fun. We know we did. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on Instagram and Facebook at MarkCox100. Make sure to subscribe and review. And tell a friend or two about the show. For more, hit up the website at MarkCox.com. Till next time, keep it real.